Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking part in this immersive listening experience. A meaningful existence is a moving target that no matter how close will always be out of reach. We hope this message finds you with an outstretched hand. As we attempt to uncover complex truths, remember, life's toughest questions can be answered if we all just focus on one thing. Being good people. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, I was joined by Greg Wren. He's an old professor of mine. He is an associate creative writing professor at James Madison University and teaches poetry. Today, we talked about rite of passage. We talked about the importance of doing things that are challenging and avoiding cliche. We had a super awesome conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to be here, Joel. I can't think of a person who I would want to do the first episode with more. Oh. Uh, you've had a really uh, impactful, you know, you're this impactful figure in my life in a f- formative time that I appreciate and I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. I remember you. I, re- I remember. I remember your um, your youth and your. Um, your openness and um it's like you had one foot in the past and one foot in a future you didn't understand or know and um and I was right there with you in the same in the same boat you know but in a, obviously in a in a different way but yeah I I know you just had your book thing and we'll talk about that yeah. but something that I have been thinking about a lot is this idea of cliches and mm-hmm. this was like lesson number one um you know poetry 101 avoid cliches mm-hmm. and it's something that i carry over to how i view the real world and especially in as a fitness coach there's a lot of cliche that i see and i would attribute like being a fitness coach now is the equivalent of being a snake oil salesman. It's like full of charlatans and cliche in that industry is something that really bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in like a big broad scale understanding of the world, I think avoiding cliches is productive because it is a testament to like your unique perspective. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here and I think this is a, a really good place to begin um, because I think that you and I both, one of the things that you and I have in common is that we want to live a life of meaning and we want to live a life of impact. And um, we we want to leave our mark on the world. And the way you leave your mark on the world is not by doing what everyone else is doing. Uh, while at the same time, respecting the appropriate elders, right? Respecting tradition, learning from the past. Um, but kind of as, as, as poet Ezra Pound would tell the world, you know, make it new. You know, whatever you're gonna do in, 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 in some way, shape or form, um, you know, add, add a fresh perspective. You know, don't um, you know, ch- challenge? I guess to to, to use um, a phrase that I've been using a lot as I as I think a lot about psychedelics and I think a lot about 
spirituality and I think a lot about politics too is is you know challenging the consensus reality. And so in a poem, you know, if you have a poem that is, you know, my love is a is a rose and um that that sort of thing, comparing them to a summer's day, that is gonna be cliche. And so we have to find we have to find new ways um new ways to express ourselves and yet maybe maybe you find this as a fitness coach being out there you know on instagram even being being on, on social media that it seems like there's so many clones you know not not only charlatans but just clones and people are all kind of doing the same thing and it's sort of like how do you how do you stand out how do you get your message across how do you reach people and um get them to you know it's sort of like being in a park you don't notice the squirrels but if you were from i don't know if you were from antarctica or or the arctic or something and you saw a squirrel you would be amazed so you know we don't want to be white noise you know we don't want to be background noise um so so yeah so it, it's it seems very important to 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 avoid cliches and um and i think that involves changing our mind well first off it involves change paying attention it involves paying attention in life showing up and paying attention do whatever you do do it with both eyes open like you yeah just don't just live like be mindful of how you're living how things are going why do you do certain things this way or that way because mm-hmm. that gives you an opportunity to change it if you would like to exactly exactly yeah that's that's right and so I, I i totally agree with that and and i think that it takes mindfulness right it takes being in the moment to see oh i'm operating on automatic pilot or i'm being a lemming uh or a, a follower in this in this situation and how can i be you know there's this word authentic right how how, how can how can you be more authentic yeah and i think Kind of to go back to your point, I think about this all the time. I'm literally doing what everybody else is doing. I am posting about fitness information on Instagram, and that is very cliche. And I guess to play devil's advocate on the conversation a bit, you know, I really believe that no matter what, no matter how much you're able to avoid cliche, we're kind of just recycling the same things over and over and over again in different ways. And I do think that's not a bad thing. We can, you know, still be non-cliche or idiosyncratic to use words that I've heard you use before Mm -hmm. and still use the same general idea. So how do you differentiate differentiate between the two of those things like old idea but a new take on it well i mean yeah it may be that 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 nothing that originality is not really possible like if we have a philosophical conversation maybe maybe that's true um but i don't know what egyptian people were thinking <laughs> you, you you know what i mean yeah. no, 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 none of us do or the Assyrians. I mean, we can look at their art. 
and say, oh, well, that's different than what we do. But but maybe their thought processes were were in some way, shape, or form, you know, similar to ours. But I don't know. I think that. But but to sort of put that aside for a moment, I, I think because that's a sort of philosophical argument that's hard to hard to to to, to really go far with. But but I think that um, I think there are. I think there are new ideas. I mean, I, I uh, you know, I, I think that, um, how do you answer a question? I mean, what, what was your question again? Sorry. It was, how do you differentiate between new ideas yeah. and, and old ones in terms of like, I'm uh, giving you an old idea that's been around for generations, like yes. the importance of discipline or whatever. But mm-hmm. in a new way, how do I get you to think about it differently? What's the difference? Um, I don't always know if we know the difference. I don't. I don't know if we always know the difference, um, or even if that can necessarily be articulated because it's so subjective. Um, but I think that kind of. Again, I think it comes back to mindfulness. I think I think it comes back to, um, well, it comes back to noticing conditioning. And you know, when we notice our conditioning, then by definition, we're in the moment, and we can choose something a little different. And you you probably heard right, as a coach, right? This this you probably tell your your clients about you know kind of this difference between stimulus and response. You know, and it's like in that in that space between stimulus and response that's where choice comes in. That's where free will comes in. The free will to create something that doesn't seem to be in the tap water. Now, it may actually in some far-flung corner of the world, someone's probably thinking the same thing, but at least in that moment, it seems like something that's, you know, something that's more original. Yeah, I got you. Well, it's just like something that's been on my mind too, because sometimes... I'll be sitting and this profound thing hits me where it's like, I'm a genius. This, this idea is awesome. And then Mm -hmm. two weeks later, I'm listening to a podcast and somebody says the almost verbatim what I thought. And then it's not guilt. It's just, it's a reminder of ego that I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm maybe not. uh, I think it's good to have those reminders in a sense as well. Um, yeah, but what's important there, it seems, is the the contemplating or the reflection or the noticing that we've been mm-hmm. talking about. Yes, yes, definitely. And um, you know, when you say all that, it reminds me of Sir, Sir Isaac Newton and a guy named Leibniz. They were two mathematicians, two scientists. And they discovered, they'd each discovered calculus independently. Uh. And so it's so, so I think there's something to be said for the collective unconscious, right? There, that, there, that there is, or that there's collective consciousness and that we are almost like a forest, right? Where you have, where you have millions of trees that are, that are, um, that are in connection with one another with the wood wide web right the mycelial networks um you know allowing them all to communicate that in some way we may have some kind of um mechanism which 
has not yet been discovered that we're we're all kind of we're all, we're all connected and our thoughts are all connected and so you know you're you and that other person that you that you heard t- t- two weeks after you had your great idea you may have been tapping into the same the same source with a capital s yeah i had a calculus teacher in high school that used to say if we met aliens then math would still be the same even if the numbers were different or the you know we do everything in fives or you know there's these evens and odds if that whole thing was different the basic way the math comes together would be the same because it's this universal idea it kind of reminds me too of Mm -hmm. like a lot of artists will say things for example i heard a comedian talk on a podcast recently where he said i feel like the jokes aren't mine I'm just, when I sit, they come to me and I'm the guy that tells them, but they weren't mine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, they, what are your, mm-hmm. what is your kind of relationship with that creative process when you write or whatever? Mm-hmm. Well, this is something that, um, that we talked about in, in the class that, uh, you know, of mine that you were in the, the poetry writing classes that, you know, we, we have, it's a useful, at the, at the very least, it's a useful fiction that we have a muse with a capital M. And so it's a useful fiction. Maybe we really do. Okay. So the, the Greeks thought we had daemons, D-A-E-M-O-Ns, kind of on our shoulders and, you know, who could, who gave us great ideas and who, who could guide us. But I think that, yeah, you're kind of getting into a realm that's kind of shamanistic you're getting into a realm you know when we kind of go down that path where you're you know you're the you're the you know the, the poet or the 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 thought leader or um or what have you is a kind of medium right is a kind of medium they're a secretary you know, as I, I think i would tell you all you know as poets we're secretaries for our muse the muse is dictating to us and we're writing down and that's the best for me, that's the most delicious, best way to create is to be that receptive. Um, and then, you know, once the download occurs, then you can kind of go back and revise. And that does take a bit more will, you could say. But um, but there is something, from my own experience, there is something outside of us, independent, well, outside of me, independent of me, that oftentimes creates inspiration. And I can't, you know, I don't exactly know what that is. There are lots of names for what that could be. But I just prefer to uh, maintain that relationship as best I can and not ask a lot of questions. Yeah, just take it. Just take it. (laughs) Um, Your (laughs) memoir was taken for publication. Um, Congrats. Thank That's you. That's awesome. Thank Tell you us so about much. That. Thank you. Well, that was, I mean, you know, I was trained as a poet. You know, I have an MFA in poetry. And so I, you know, when I was getting my, when, you know, when I was in, when I was an undergrad and when I was in grad school, I didn't take, I didn't take creative nonfiction courses. I didn't take fiction writing courses. I only took poetry. And so I had to, I had to teach myself how to write memoir, how to write prose, how to tell a story, how to have characters, how to have dialogue. And uh, that was um, a wonderful, 
process, difficult, but, but wonderful because I learned to, I guess you could say, be a channel for, for inspiration. And so I would, you know, I would, I would kind of be working and these paragraphs, these sentences would appear, you know, they would, they would appear and it was, um, and I just was just, I was just the secretary to my muse. So that was, that was a really exciting, you know, really exciting process. And I, and in some ways I can't believe I got to the end because I, I didn't really know what I was doing in a lot of ways, but I didn't know what I was doing, but maybe something outside of me did. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So is the, is the book done sort of, or no, mm-hmm. it's finished. The book's okay. finished and the, and the book is, is, you know, my editor has it, has the book and, and she's going to be editing it. Um, and um and it'll be released next spring so so in, in a year um but yes it's 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 there's there's a period at the, there is the there is a final period you know in that manuscript the end cool so it's hard to hard to believe what do you hope that it accomplishes i really hope that it teaches people it teaches people. I know that's a dangerous thing to say for an artist. So I want to teach the world something. I want to teach my readers something. But it's it's a dangerous thing, and I think I would advise you know you and your you and your poetry cohort not to be didactic, right? Not to not to sort of be too preachy or you know so forth. But I I did. Um, I learned some things that I want to share with the world and I want to, I also want to in this time of environmental crisis, I want to show, I guess I want, I want, I want people to learn how I, how I healed myself, how I dealt with my personal crisis crises while at the same time waking them up to the fact of the ecological crisis that we're in right now. It's, I believe, Joel, it's going to be 85 here um, tomorrow, 85 degrees here in the Shenandoah Valley, mid-April. It's pretty scary, you know, kind of as the thermostat gets bumped up higher and higher. And so I'm, I'm really wanting to raise awareness, not only about trauma, personal trauma, but also about the, the climate, you know, the climate crisis. Yeah, um... I think that's awesome. Can we dive into each one of those things a little bit separately? Like sure. this, I guess a little bit about your past, this, yeah. you know, I would assume kind of coming of age thing, your mm-hmm. interest in writing, you know, diving, things like that sure. versus like, it almost seems like those are two separate things. You're as an artist, you have to live the thing. And then the book is like you reporting about it in a way. Is exactly. That That's right. So I couldn't have written this at 25 or even 30. I'm, I'm 43 now. And so I have, I've had to live my life to, because really I was, I was, I was experimenting on myself. I mean, I was experimenting on myself because the mental health and I know you're, you're, you know, you, you talk a lot about in your, in your posts, you talk about mental health and, 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 and well-being and, and so, you know, um, you know, the, the mental health system, you know, did not, it just didn't help me. It, did, it didn't help me. And so I had to, 
experiment on my on on myself and you know you know and i had to find other modalities um so yeah so i i there i grew up with a lot of you know a lot of trauma a lot of abuse uh, which i which i won't go into in in this forum but but it was it was pretty terrible and so i um you know to make a long story short i you know took up meditation i took up yoga um when i was 25 i i lived at an ashram in india and i and i and I became a yoga, a certified yoga teacher, although I never really ever taught yoga. And um, I, and yeah, and I meditated. I've meditated for, for 20 years, but none of that really helped. You know, I would see therapists and I was on antidepressants and, but none of those things really quite got at the root of what was bedeviling me. And so I, um, I started to go, I started to learn to dive. I started to learn to scuba dive. I snorkeled growing up in Florida, but um, I actually learned to scuba dive. Got you know, so I could I could go down as far as, you know, a hundred feet, you know, under under the, the the surface of the ocean, and and you can see my my uh, you know my 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 jellyfish here. I, I like jellyfish, even though they they sting, but um, I, I love the ocean, and so the ocean was a place of healing for me. Um, and then. Uh, went to a particular place called Raja Ampat. It's an archipelago um, in Indonesia, a group of islands uh, that shelter some of the most pristine reefs in the world. And there I lived in, in, in villages. I lived um, by my, I was there by myself. I lived in villages. I, I, I slept on a mattress on the ground and, and then I have a mosquito net above me. And every day I would go out diving or snorkeling. And, um, and that was kind of my church. And that was my way to um, just learn to slow down and learn to feel beautiful, to feel beautiful inside when I felt very, very ugly and very, very dirty. So it was a baptism of sorts, you know, going, going into the ocean over and over like that. And it had a profound effect on me. Why do those things worse or sorry, work? You are exploring a new yeah. world. Why is it so therapeutic? Because it, well, because I felt very safe for, for so for, so for one thing, like in, like in, like in a psychedelic journey, you've got to be, you have to feel safe. You have to have a trusted guide in the ocean. It's the same or in nature is the same. You have to feel safe in order for nature to be this mental health resource. And so to pay attention, to learn to pay attention, to to learn to pay attention to something beautiful. And as you were sort of saying before, with mindfulness, making a choice to let it in, to let that beauty in and internalize it. And so, and I think what added a lot of urgency to it, Joel, was that those reefs, I mean, Coral reefs will become the first ecosystem on Earth to go extinct. And so I don't, you know, when I would go to Raja Ampat, I never knew if when I came back the next year, it would largely be destroyed, dead. I didn't know that. And so there was urgency to pay attention. And in learning to pay attention, I could take it in and I could internalize a lot of great states of mind like joy, gratitude safety 
And those became part of my being. They became part of my brain. And so it laid yeah. a foundation for some, you know, for, for a lot of, a lot of opening and a lot of awakening, I guess you could say not awakening with a capital A, but, you know, just, just opening up and, 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 and just coming out of the trance of life. Do you feel like it is the um, sort of when you're in the ocean, are you reflecting on this? Are you present in the ocean in in its reflection afterwards? What is it when you are sort of experiencing this awakening or this realization or whatever? Mm -hmm. When does that happen? It happens when I remember to do it. That's the answer. I think the, the answer to, to your question, because, right? The, so the ancient Pali, Pali was the ancient language of the Buddha. The ancient Pali word for mindfulness is sati, S-A-T-I. And that means to remember. And so I would, I would, I would, I would have to remember to be awake, to be aware, to be present for the beauty that was in front of me. And it was e actually easy to do that there because it was so, because it was and is so endangered. So it's like, you need to show up now for the coral in front of you, for the beauty in front of you, for the manta ray, the sea snake, the shark, what have you. You need to be, 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 be present for that because it, it's not gonna last long. You know, it's endangered. It's it's under grave, grave threat. And so that's a little different than walking in the park, trying to be mindful, because we don't assume that the, the park, the trees in the park are going to fall over the next day. But with coral, you know, bleaching and diseases can sweep through and, and an entire, you know, area can, can, can die. So I think it was that urgency paired with my own years of training with, with mindfulness and with meditation that enabled me to really make the most of my time there and absorb, internalize, right? Make, make that beauty and make those good feelings that came up a part of my being, right? Because in, in, my, in my daily life, I felt, I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of, I had suicidal tendencies. And so there, I didn't have that. I got to experience life without that doom and gloom. And that was a huge gift and, I, and I've never forgotten it. And so it was a new reference point for, oh, yeah, I go, I go back to, my, to, to life as usual and I'm miserable, but I remembered. I remembered the reefs. I remember how I felt. And I said, I don't always have to, I don't, I can be, I can feel more like that the way I did at the reefs in my daily life. I don't have to travel 10,000 miles for that round trip. I don't have to do that anymore. I can, I can find that here in Virginia or, or in the United States. And so that, 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 that can enable me to continue my journey. I guess you could say. Is it, there's a parallel there that I see, which is, and I know there's this whole environmental issue that is present here that my comment isn't really addressing, mm -hmm. it's okay. but it's almost like the fleetingness of this experience that you've had with the coral reefs or whatever. Yeah. That's what life is, you know, and we're here for 
a very short time and that's it. And no matter how bad you think, you know, you don't know what's going to happen and you should enjoy it to some degree and see the beauty that we all get to experience and have and whatever. And so is it that allowed you to see it similar to what we were talking at the beginning where these two ideas are underlying the same, but it's expressed a little bit differently where the coral reef is almost you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's me or it's, or it's, or it's a, um, it's a metaphor for life. Right. And there is beauty. There is so much beauty around us all the time, even, even here and the boring Shenandoah Valley. Like there's so much beauty, especially now with spring and the blossoms and there's so many beautiful people and, you know, there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of beauty. And so, um, wake up. That's what the coral reefs, you know, the, the, the coral reefs were my guru. They said, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Is it like a rite of passage? Is that different? I don't know. I think it was more kindergarten, frankly. Yeah. I think it was more kindergarten. Like, I think it was, I think it was about reclaiming my innocence and becoming a child again, in a way. Because that's when I first encountered coral reefs when I was a child in Florida. And so it was a way to kind of re-experience that, but in a different, but on my own terms. And with in a much more directed way. And, you know, getting some of the, getting some things, I guess, from the reefs that I didn't get growing up. How do you, you know, I think what you're talking about is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. And it's that everybody needs something like this. I've run a couple of ultra marathons. And so far in my life, that's my version of the coral reef for you. Oh my gosh. In September, I did a hundred in 2019. I think I did it when I had your class, I did a 50 miler. And these were ways for me to make sense of the world in the same exact way where I'm experiencing this sort of profound thing that not many people get the opportunity to do it. And it gives me a thing to, it's a frame of reference for everything else. Mm -hmm. I'm like, when I was standing at mile 51, overlooking one of the highest points in Virginia at this beautiful valley, and I'm exhausted, I've been running all night. I think about that all the time when I notice that I've, oh, all day today, like I haven't really thought about how I'm doing or I've just been going through the motions. And it's uh, almost a magnet that pulls me back to how I want to interface with the world. Mm -hmm. Do you think that everybody needs something like that? Do you think that it is dependent on the person? You know, it's diving for you. I guess kind of like, what are your thoughts on that in general? Well, you're talking about mental training. Hmm. You're talking about mental training. I mean, is that, I mean, is that, would you say that's right? To say that you're, 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 you're like in, like in the, sort of zooming out that you're talking about mental trainer, mental discipline. It's more than discipline. And I just think that's a, like discipline is cliche. It's a, you know, you need to have it in. If I talk to, for example, the clientele that I work with all the time is like 30 to 40 year old people that don't care about 
the profoundness of the Shenandoah Valley and, you know, the beauty of exploring the mind in this deep way. And I recognize that. And having one of these, you know, mental training, whatever things, not everybody sees the value in it. And I'm, I guess my question was more geared towards your thoughts on that. Yeah. Is it something that few of us need or is it something that most of us are missing? I think most of us are missing it. I think most of us are missing it. And, um, because to let the mind do what the mind wants to do is, uh, it's a, it's a, that's a bad recipe. Yeah. For anybody. It's not freedom. There's not a lot of freedom and there's not a lot of, yeah, because we, well, I mean, it makes me think a lot about what you're saying makes me think about technology and, you know, the algorithms that are tailored just to us that are serving up, you know, the video that's meant to cause the most dopamine in our brains to be released that, you know, some of us, too many of us are spending hours and hours and hours a, a day taking in media like that, whether it's pictures or, 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 or videos. And so the computer then really the algorithm is doing, is, is doing the mental training for us and we're passive and we're addicted actually to that, to, to that, to that relationship between ourselves and our, and our, and our computer. Our, our smartphone. So you can't, unless you want to give away your freedom. And in that case, you are giving away your freedom. If you're addicted to your smartphone, then you have to, you know, unless you want to be addicted to that, you've got to, um, you've got to take matters into your own hands. And so you can't, you have to, you have to learn to look away. And this is something I've really struggled with. To be perfectly honest, I, something I've really struggled with in my life is is internet addiction, and a, and a lot of a lot of people have this. A lot of people, a lot of people struggle with it. I, I know I struggle with it for years. I'll raise my hand and say that I am also addicted. Okay, cool, great. So so you so you know, and 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 so, but I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that about myself any any anymore anymore. Hmm. But all my life, from about age fifteen to forty, whatever. I was. And so I was letting, um, I was letting someone else train my mind. Mm. And so, you know, we can talk till, till, till our, till our faces are, re are red, white, and blue about reclaiming our freedom in America and religious <laughs> freedom and this Liberty and that Liberty. But if a tech company is, gets to decide what you think and what you feel, and I should say also what you believe, although a lot of people don't realize that they're, they're creating beliefs in you as well. If you're, if you're subjecting yourself to that, you are not free. Yeah. And I think that that is, uh, that's enough for me to, okay, I'm done. Like, how can I figure out how to get this out of my life? Because yes. being, you know, I, I always think about, it's like a stoic thing for sure. But I'm sure this is another one of those ideas that has popped up at various times. 
it's sort of philosophical in the sense that like nobody's free. You're a slave to something, whether it's your job or your family or your kids or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't live a life that is totally up to you. And when it comes to technology or social media or Instagram, and we know for a fact that these people are designing it so that we use it all the time, nonstop. And that should be enough to be like, I'm done with it. Absolutely. And then, and then to, 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 to see what's, you know, the, what the mental health problems that it's causing and, you know, people in your generation, you know, hurting themselves because they feel like no one loves them. Well, I mean, no one really does. I mean, to be blunt, no one really does love them because they're spending so much time by themselves staring at a screen. No one knows you. No one, no one can, you, you don't have an opportunity to take in the good feelings, to take in the joy, to take in the gratitude, to take it, to really look people in the eye and have a real conversation. If you're not, if you're not looking at people in the eye and you're not being touched, really, it comes, it comes down to that. Are you, are you, are you having, are you making eye contact with people? Are you being touched? Are you in some kind of relationship with people in real time, in real, in real life, not on the internet? If you don't have that, of course, you're going to think about hurting yourself. Any mammal in solitary confinement, and that's what it ends up being, any, that's being subjected to an addictive substance. Think of these pigeons that were given cocaine water, right, in these early experiments. Any creature in those, in those, under those circumstances is going to want to end their existence. So it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. What do you want? What inputs do you want to take in? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we want to look at, you know, divisive, violent, sexual, you know, imagery all the time? You know, or do we want to, I don't know, just go look at the clouds, look at, look at, look at, look yeah, at a tree, watch a tree, look at a tree, look to have coffee with a beautiful person, look at them in the yeah. eye, learn, hear about what they're, what's going on in their lives, tell jokes, enjoy each other's company. Read a book with paper pages. You know, all of these things, there's so many things you can do that don't require, that, that, that you can be intentional about, that you can be intentional about. And, and let's say you are in prison. Let's say you are in solitary confinement, which is absolutely horrible, right? Let's just say you're in prison. Let's not say solitary confinement. But let's say you are in a situation where you're, you're in quarantine, let's say, even. You know, you're just isolated. You're, under, you're in a bad situation. That's what the imagination is for. The imagination is there. That is your smartphone. That is your Instagram. That is your TikTok. You have the ability to think anything, anything. You have the ability to imagine anything. And you can imagine hurting your neighbor, or you can imagine helping your neighbor, loving, loving your neighbor. You get to choose. And step number one there is be quiet. Like, yeah, you can't let the imagination in until it's quiet. Yeah. We're not meant to get the opinion of hundreds and hundreds of maybe thousands of people at once. No. And even to your point earlier, if we are getting validated on social media or whatever, it doesn't do it for us because there's no eye contact. There's nobody's giving you a hug, whatever. The validation 
isn't even productive validation. No, no. And you're not, and also you're not in resonance with, with the other, with the other person. And by resonance, you know, it's hard, you know, it's hard to talk about, but when two people are together in the same space and they're connecting and they're co-regulating and they're just, just sinking in, not making a big deal out of it, not making a project out of it, just sinking in and enjoying their time with each other, then they get into resonance. Their brain waves sync up. There's a they they are there's a kind of mind meld which takes place, and and maybe you've experienced that with people. I know I've experienced that with people, but it's elusive these days because it's very hard to be in resonance with someone else when you are when you've been you know after you've spent you know an hour looking at garbage online that's been upsetting. It's really hard to be in the moment. And to and, you know to activate the parasympathetic nervous system to calm down, and to be in resonance. That resonance and resonance happens between baby and mother, between baby and father. But these days, mommy, mommy's looking at her TikToks <laughs> while she's breastfeeding. Baby yeah. has the phone in its hand. Baby, you know. So this is this is not good. This is not good. Do you? Is it willpower for you? Do you have everything on your phone? You're just like, I'm good now. I've got it under control. Are there things that you do to stay off of yeah. Instagram, whatever? Blockers. I put, I put, I put, I have, you know, I, I give someone else the the code to my to my phone. And and I block lots of things. I I block, you know, the 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 apps that aren't so good for us, let's say, those those 17 plus apps that that used to that I used to be very addicted to those are blocked um you know adult content is blocked on my phone it's not something that's that I can easily get around i mean you have to you know it's like it's like if you were if you and i were 5 years old and we were in a candy store we couldn't and it was and it was all you can eat day at the candy store we couldn't we couldn't help ourselves yeah and as and as men, it's it's like the internet is awash with plenty of material that is ready to hook us. And so I have to create that kind of firewall, and I have to, you know, I have to schedule time with other people. I have to just have more to do in my life than being looking at a screen, looking at a screen, yeah, being online. And it seems like there's this cyclical nature of history. Yeah that we are going through a phase where people are realizing that abstaining from things are very valuable. Yes. And there has been a time and again, over and over again, where it's, we indulge, we abstain, we indulge, we abstain. Is that just the natural order of things? Do you think that there's always a balance of it? You know, I can't help but see the things we were just talking about as this indulgent tendency as human beings that we have, mm -hmm. are we just going through one of those phases where you and I are saying, no, we need to abstain from it? Or is there something to that that will always be universal? Like we, abstinence is very important to understand. Mm -hmm. Discipline is very important to understand. You know, what are your thoughts on that? I think that 
I think that primates, when they have the choice between broccoli and a mango, will always choose the mango. Mangoes are good. They're very, very good, especially if they're peeled for you. Yeah. So yeah. I think top three favorite fruit for me. Oh, it's so good. And one of the reasons people love it is it's very, very sweet. Yeah. So compared to a cucumber or whatever. So uh, if that's even a fruit, I don't know. But I think it, anyway. But um, so. And the monkey will always eat five mangoes instead of eating one. There's something in us that is, you know, there's something in us just genetically that predisposes us to excess, to indulgence, as as you put it. And some people are more prone to it than others. Um, But we are living in very, very abundant times. You can get, you and I can get anything we want, basically, from the internet and have it delivered to our door. You know, and we can get any kind of food we want and eat it. And so, you know, I don't know, but you probably track macros, I'm guessing, sometimes. Uh, I don't personally. Okay. You know, I have. Okay, me too. I don't, I'm not currently doing that. But, you know, tracking macros is a way to say no to that excess. And I don't know about you, but when I track my macros and I get to the end of the day and I've gone, you know, I'm over on everything a little bit, I'm still hungry. If I had, if I had, yeah. if I were not tracking my macros, I would have eaten a lot, you know, significantly more than I did. And so it's almost like we need that inner, we have to do, we have to develop that inner um governor governor inner sheriff inner um coach you could say yeah yeah we have and, and so i think that yeah and, and I, I so I, I think that this is something that, that that's just in, that's just part of being human but it's exacerbated by the fact that we live in such abundant times and um but but in every society there have always been people who've practiced abstinence who've practiced who've had who've had discipline yogis monks um and so on and so forth people who lived lives that were more spartan more ascetic and the buddha preaches i guess you could say or teaches you know don't be too self-denying but don't be too self-indulgent either you've got to find your middle way and that is I think that's my my journey has been to find my middle way, not the middle way that everybody has. You, you, your middle way is probably different from mine. But I think the book is the book is an attempt to say, okay, this was my, this this I found my middle way. Maybe some of the things I did can be a benefit to you. But also, we as a species, we as a civilization, have to find our middle way, because we are entirely too self indulgent. Are you know um, we're using too many resources to way too quickly, and we're going to destroy ourselves. We're in the process of destroying ourselves. Is this connected? This kind of like indulgent ideology, in a way, connected to the things you worry with the environmental side of things. 
Sure. Yeah. So I mean, just just that you know, we're 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 um, we're generating too much carbon. We're generating too much trash. We're generating you know we're 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 creating too much pollution. We're you know it's it's the the the, the earth only has you know you you with the food in your kitchen, Joel. Right now, you can serve only so many people lunch. Mm. At a certain point, you're going to have to tell people, the people in line to have lunch at your house. I'm sorry, we're out here. So your your home has the ability to feed only so many people at, in any given moment, and the Earth too has its has a limited amount of water, has a limited amount of resources and food. And so, yes, this this over and this and this, what seems like business as usual, right? Sort of capitalism business as usual, is really um, a very self-destructive, suicidal path for us. Like it or not, right? People can say, "Oh, I don't want you taking away my my cheesy poofs and my pizza." Or my SUV with you know silicone testicles hanging off of the back of it, but you know at a certain point we have to say no. Personally, we have to say no in our lives to that cookie or that piece of cake or whatever that's just going to send us over the edge, you know. But we also have to learn to say no as a species. And I don't, you know, and I I can't begin to know what that really looks like because we would rather choose to pull back and be more sustainable rather than be forced to do that. Mm. Better to choose than to be forced. Yeah. Most people of any political um, background would probably be on board with that. You know, what you're saying strikes a lot of chords with me of like, what's the way forward? What are the facts? What do we need to know? Yeah. How do we make adjustments? Mm-hmm. And in, in part, that's kind of what I hope to accomplish with this podcast is mm-hmm. not even for anybody else, but for me, who who can I talk to that can help educate me on how to live my day-to-day life, how to think a little bit better, things like that or whatever. Um, and yeah, I know this is like a big sort of bigger problem that you and I can fix sitting here having this conversation right now. And it's good to just start thinking about that sort of thing. It's very good to start talking about it. It's very good to, I mean, you can't really figure out the diet. You can't really figure out the, you don't know which, what the medicine should be until you have a diagnosis. And we have to understand, you know, what's happening and and in terms of an addiction whether it's an addiction to fossil fuels or an addiction to porn or an addiction to food or an addiction to alcohol or drugs or whatever you know the, the de- by definition and you don't realize something is an addiction until it's too late meaning it's already done some damage to you right you have to know yeah. that your life has become unmanageable and you have to feel the heat you have to feel the pain of that enslavement to your to your drug of choice, you have to feel this. You have to feel that suffering in order to know to stop. And that's what I think. I think. I think. In terms of our culture, we're waking up to the fact that our addiction to digital technology is it's undoing the social fabric. 
in our addiction to fossil fuels is leading to an environmental crisis from which we may not be able to recover. Mm. And so that is in either case where we're, we're facing, you know, uh, uh, some big threats and they're not invented, you know, they're, they're not invented. I, I mean, I think people can, people can argue about it or, or you know, say that the, that isn't happening, but you know, the earth only has so much, so many resources. And, um, and if you haven't noticed, people really don't like each other. Yeah. And it hasn't always been like that. People can say, oh, there's always been that. No, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. Yeah. yeah. It's something and I new. Think that's sort of the ethos of the show, you know, good people. How do we honor that we are, as human beings, not a disease that has riddled the earth and there's too many of us, mm -hmm. but also respect the thing that we live on make good conscious choices that will allow us to live longer as a individual and species. Uh, and it is my belief that underneath all of it is this idea of we just have to be good people. And that means a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know we're kind of closing in with time. So I think a good sum up way to finish this thing is what to you is a good person that's a great question. I've been watching Mr. Rogers um, on uh, YouTube recently. You know who Mr. Rogers is? I do, yeah. Okay, just making sure that that reference was. I know. I'm I'm probably the last. <laughs> and the only reason I know who Mr. Rogers is is because I have older siblings. Got it. Okay. Um, I think that... Um, I think a good person is someone who is committed to choosing love. A good person isn't someone who's born loving everyone unconditionally and who just floats through life. Beepy deepy deepy do. That isn't what a good a good person is 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 practicing. Uh, choosing love because it's a choice. At the end of the day, it's a choice to, to 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 be kind or to not be kind. Now, can we always be kind? No, because we're human. But the choice is always there. That the opportunity to practice when the stimulus comes at us, we always have that second or two or three or half a second to choose what our response is going to be. And so I think for, for me, someone who, who, who is a, a good person is someone who is um, aspiring to choose love and who sees it as a choice and who I think related to being a good person is knowing that uh, or realizing that just because something feels good doesn't make it good. Now, Appreciation, gratitude, love, those feel good. So some things that do feel good, sex can feel good, you know, lovemaking can feel good. All those things can be very good things, right? But there are people who also um, feel good when they hurt other people. There are people who feel good, you know, as they... Um, 
you know, as they're shooting up with whatever drug they're using. I mean, so so feeling good just because something feels good, that's never a good measure necessarily that something is good, that something is going to promote well-being, that something is going to promote sort of spiritual um, expansion or growth. And so that takes to, to know to know what helps in life, to know what 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 contributions in life help and what contributions hurt, that takes time. If we didn't have good parents who showed us that, we have to really be mindful and see, okay, what I just did promoted well-being. Great. Or what I just did did not promote well-being. Oops. We learn from our mistakes. So I think that, and that's where mindfulness comes in again, right? Remembering to pay attention to the ethical um, kind of reverberations that our thoughts, actions, and, and words um, have. That's really, really important. So to, to aspire to, yeah, to aspire to pay attention to one's conduct, to learn from that, and to choose love, I would say that would be what, that would be in my eyes, what a good person is. Where can people find more from you if they're interested? Your book, where will all that stuff be? They can find me on Instagram or they can find me on my website, gregren.com. That's got two N's, one G on the end, two N's on the end of Ren, um, gregren.com. And um, they might find me hiking around here too. All right. Thank you very much.